Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. We are going to be talking about how to invite more luck into your life on today's show with a very special author. Richard Webster is an award-winning, multi-million selling author, ghostwriter, mentalist, hypnotist, and magician. He's written over 75 books helping readers learn how to develop their intuition, work with psychic tools, and so much more. His best-selling books include Spirit Guides and Angel Guardians and Creative Visualization for Beginners. And Richard is with us today to discuss his upcoming book, The Secret to Attracting Luck, 50 Ways to Manifest Abundance and Good Fortune. So welcome to the show, Richard, and I'm really looking forward to talking about how to bring more luck into our lives. Thank you very much, Samantha. It's wonderful to be here. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts on luck. Like, do you think some people are just born with good luck or bad luck? Or is it something deeper? Is it more about a state of mind? I think it's largely a state of mind. There are a lot of people who always see the glasses half empty rather than half full. Some of them seem to have had that virtually from birth. So I think that's probably part of upbringing if their family situation or parents were negative. They probably grew up with that. But that, that can be changed. I, th- I think any, anyone can improve their luck by changing their outlook and their attitude towards the subject. I completely agree. I think it's all about how you choose to think and reframe your story of your life. That's it's true. I do that uh, regularly. I have a little exercise I do when I go to bed at night. I go through the day I've had. When I go through it, I, anything negative has occurred, I will then go through that experience again, but I'll make it positive. I'll put a positive slant on it. Oh, that's a great uh, idea. Yes, it means I go to sleep feeling much happier, I think, probably too, because there's tension in your body when you're feeling negative about anything. Yeah, exactly. And that's like a twist on on writing in a gratitude journal. It's even more positive. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to try that. Good, good. I do, I do keep a gratitude journal as well. Yes, I've done that for years, and I find find it's become more and more useful as time goes by, because everywhere I go, I'm looking for opportunities to be grateful, and uh, so it's it's easy to come up with five things I'm grateful for every every day, because I think in a way I am creating them with with my whole approach to everything I do. If I go into a store, I expect to receive good service doesn't always work, but uh, I make the best of it because of my attitude. And I've got a number of places I go to. Uh, my wife and I go to a regular place for coffee most mornings. And uh, I, I consider that place is always 10 out of 10. It's got to be. No matter what happens, it's 10 out of 10 because it's one of our favorite places. And if I started thinking negative things about it, it would probably lose its appeal gradually, gradually or maybe even quickly. That's so true. It's like a universal law. I agree entirely that a lot of times gratitude seems to be a catalyst for increased luck because both are about a sense of raising your vibration of hope, of looking more optimistically and not with rose-colored glasses, but with a, a more open heart and mindset. Gratitude has been a huge, huge turning point in so many aspects of my life to find the positive. And I Love, love, love that you say that. So do you feel like there is a correlation between the gratitude and the luck? Most most definitely. They're they're sort of really intertwined. I I think once uh, 
someone adopts an attitude of gratitude, good luck then seems to come their way. And it's uh, their whole approach to life. They're approaching life with, with gratitude. Good things will happen. One thing you emphasize in so many of your books is that these are learned techniques. So it's not like if you've been raised in a negative home, well, too bad. Bad luck's going to keep on keeping on for you. This is something that people can actually take your book and practice these strategies and kind of retrain their mind. Everyone can do that. I, I belong to a, a, group, a group of people. We meet once a month for dinner and we all come from all different types of careers and occupations and uh, backgrounds. And one of them was New Zealand's most successful car thief for many years. He stole cars to to order, expensive cars. And uh, he ended up spending four years in prison as as a result of that. And that became the turning point of his life. He was dyslexic and he learned how to read and write while he was in prison. He saw people coming leaving prison, saying they'd never come back, then a few months later, they'd be back again. And he resolved that wouldn't happen to him. So in that four years, he completely turned his life around and he became a motivational speaker. He helps, um, he speaks in schools at, at high schools. Is that what you call them in the States? Yes. I think it's high schools, uh, yep. 13, yep. 13 to 18 year olds, telling them about his story and the mistakes he made, uh, telling them that they can achieve whatever they set their mind on if they, if they focus on it. So he's turned his uh, life around absolutely, uh, totally. And uh, he came from a a very underprivileged background and he's become a very successful and uh, a fairly wealthy man today. And that was by changing his attitude. Wow. And he never went back there. No, he never went back, no. That is fantastic. You know, a lot of what you're saying reminds me of one of your other books about miracles, inviting the extraordinary into your life. How do you differentiate between this idea of switching up your mindset and gratitude and asking for more luck and seeking it out and expecting to find it with inviting miracles into your life? What's the difference? Uh, no. Is there a difference? Yes, yes, they actually they actually are are associated. Miracles are normally when some supernatural influence comes in and makes something impossible actually become possible. It normally happens when someone is in really desperate straits and that there seems to be no way out, and that they they call for help. They might call on the, on the divine, whatever their belief system happens to be, and. Uh, something amazing happens, we get rescued or saved, we're able to move on again. So I guess you could say that is good luck, but I think there's more to it. I think the universe stepped in, made something miraculous happen. There's a famous um, true story which happened in the 1960s of um, a small boy playing on his little pedal car and he got it close to the railway lines and got stuck on the tracks just as a train was coming around corner and his mother could see what had happened and she was too far away and the train would be too, too noisy. And miraculously, the train stopped about two feet away from the child. That was pretty miraculous. Why that happened is because the train driver fainted and the brakes automatically went on when he took, let go of all the controls. And so the train driver had nothing to do with it. So something stepped in and made that thing happen so that the child was saved. And I would consider that a miracle. Wow, I I would too. That's amazing. So miracles has a supernatural element and there's really not a whole lot we can do about it except maybe pray for them. But luck 
is something that we can actually invite in. And in your book, you mentioned 50 ways to do that. What are some of your favorite ones from the book? Could you share? Ask questions. I always got accused of asking too many questions when I was when I was younger. But uh, if you don't ask questions, you don't, you don't learn. I think being gener- being generous, not with money obviously, but being generous with your t- with your time and, and your efforts. Go the extra mile. V- visualization. I'm I'm a great believer in visualization. Also, use open body language. If, if you tighten yourself up and you've got crossed arms and crossed legs, if you're at a social gathering. No one's going to go near you because you've closed yourself off to everyone. If you have uh, open, your arms are by your sides and your legs are slightly apart. And with a smile on your face, you'll look more approachable. I believe you've also got to take the first. Make an effort yourself. If you're shy, just doing that, someone will approach you. Whereas if you close yourself off, they won't. I think you should follow your own path as as well. I've met so many people who are forced into careers that they didn't really want to do, but they did it because of parental expectations or what their peers thought. I've always sort of followed my own path and uh, I've embarrassed the family so many times during the years with some of the things I've done. <laughs> but uh, How can I'll, that I'll... be? You've, you've had such a successful career and you've done so many things. You do past life regressions and you do magic and everything. And, and your books, I can't tell you what your books have meant to me through the years. Oh, well, well, thank you. But some of the publicity I've had over the years have, has not always been been, been great. <laughs> I, gave a, I gave a talk at the Convention of Society of Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. My topic was, uh, do animals have souls? I, I, I said, yes, yes, they, they do. The next day, there was a report in our daily newspaper, and it said that my thought processes were quaint and slightly dippy. <laughs> I was so proud. I put it on my my website for a day or two. Then I thought, no, it's probably not the image I really want to convey. So I took it down again. But uh, I've had that sort of thing every now and again, and that embar- that uh, has caused embarrassment to the family at different times. Yeah, Denise and I definitely understand that. Our family feels the same way about our our woo woo side, as you call it. Yes, right? that's right. Do you feel like you were the one airdropped into your family? Because when you were saying that. You know, you kind of embarrass them or you see life through a different lens. Yeah, yes, I, de- I definitely, definitely feel that. Uh, my brother was a um, stockbroker and a very, very successful one. My sister was married to a property developer. So I'm, I'm, the, poor, I'm the poor relative, really. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I think I've had a much happier life than the life, well, you're, you're, you obviously can't unless you walk in their shoes. But... Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change anything. I've been very happy with my choices in, in life. Well, well, one of my siblings is a very negative person, not yes. not unkind, but very negative. And I think there's a link between that constant negativity, that constant density of energy, that kind of deflects luck or bringing in manifesting things that are going to be more positive in your life or the miracle attraction. Do you agree with that? I agree with that totally. Yes, and it's hard. To, it's hard to get through to those people too, because uh, it's something they really have to find and discover for themselves. Because anything you say to them to try to make them look at the world slightly differently will, will just be blocked automatically. Exactly. You know, I kind of think of luck as almost, almost a person. Maybe it's my study of feng shui, but. I always think that the universe has this energy that flows throughout life and it's looking for people to bestow its energy on. 
And if you're all closed up like you were describing before, if your house is all shrouded in drapes and shrubbery and you keep your head down or in your phone, I feel like the universe is going to pass you by. Yes, I think I think that's right. And in Feng Shui, there's the example of uh, sitting in an office where no one can see you when they walk past and you get overlooked for promotions and things like that because you're just not even seen. Yeah, exactly. So we get a couple of emails every now and then from people saying to us, you know, I've had so much bad luck this year, or I'm in a bad luck cycle. We've had other people who have gotten readings with unethical psychics who have told them they're cursed. Do you believe in curses? Do you believe that there's any truth to some of those claims? I personally don't believe in curses, but curses do work. They work purely because the person who has been told they're cursed believes it. There are even examples of people who have died. How different Aboriginal peoples, they point the bone at someone and a few weeks later, they're dead because they believe they're cursed and it happens. So a curse is only effective if the person believes in it. If the person doesn't believe in the curse, it has no effect whatsoever. The power of belief is extraordinary. And I, I don't think we've even touched the tip of the iceberg on really understanding what we can do with our mind. Oh, no, that's, that's true. There have been miraculous uh, healings, haven't there, with people who refuse yeah. to accept a terminal diagnosis and have done something and with the power of belief overcome everything and survive. Do you have any good luck superstition stuff that you do? Like, do you carry a good luck coin or a four-leaf clover? Uh, yes, yes, I, I, I carry, a, a, well, I, I wear around my neck a little pendant. It's a um, diamond-shaped piece of uh, green stone, which is green, green jade. I wear it for a number of reasons. It, green is considered uh, a, a lucky color by the native Maori people. Green stone was passed down from generation to generation. And a friend of mine from Germany spent a year in New Zealand as an exchange student, went back to Germany, but we remained in contact. And a few years later, he came back to New Zealand to see his the friends he'd made here. And he spent a week learning Maori carving and he made this for me. So I've, I've felt very, very touched when he gave it to me. So whenever I fondle it or hold it or, or use it, uh, it reminds me of him. So it's got those, that association as well. But because it's on, not thread, I, sp- I suppose I suppose it's a thread, almost like string, I use it as a pendulum. So it means I have a pendulum everywhere I go. Whenever I use it again, I, I think of him. So it brings back all sorts of happy memories. And because of all those happy associations, I, I believe that it does bring me good luck. It's triple blessed. Yes, what do it you, is. you have a great book on working with pendulums for anyone who's interested in learning more. Please check out Richard Webster's book, Working with Pendulums. What's your favorite tip for working with a pendulum? Like, what do you use it for in your daily life? I, I use it all, all the time. I don't go overboard with it because I don't necessarily need a pendulum. I, I do body dowsing as, as, as well. So if, if I'm in a bookstore, and there are two books I think I'm, I'd like to buy, but I know I shouldn't buy either, really, because I'm trying to downsize my library, but I've decided to buy one. I, I will put one on either side of me, side of me, close my eyes, and just ask which one should I buy. When I open my eyes, I will be slightly leaning towards the book that I should buy. On one occasion, I was teaching a course on how to use the pendulum, in the afternoon break, I went across to the shopping mall, and uh, there was one of the students using a pendulum deciding which tomatoes they'd buy. 
<laughs> so so I, don't, I don't think I'd take it that far. But I, I use it for, for making decisions. When my children were small, I used it all the time for finding things they'd lost. Uh, if they lost something, they'd come and say, Daddy, Daddy, where we lost this. So I get the pendulum out and I'd say, is it in the living room? Is it in the family room? Is it in the bedroom? And, and locate it that way. So it's, it's useful for all sorts of things. That is so cool. Denise, you and I were just talking about our pendulums and how we use them, but not as much as we should. I tend to use mine mainly for chakra work, like showing you which chakras are closed or not balanced. Yes, it's wonderful for that. Yes. A lot of our listeners are, well, most are very, very empathic, very sensitive, very in tune, and yes. they're opening up more to spirit. And I think I love, love, love that you just said using your body as a barometer because Samantha and I teach a mediumship class and we always, that's one of the things we really emphasize is pay attention to how your body reacts because yes. it will, it will never let you down. And what would be some clues for our listeners to learn to trust their own inner knowing a little bit more? I learned by trial and error. I found all the way through life, if I make a decision purely on logic, chances are quite high I'll make a mistake. If I, <laughs> if I rely on intuition, I very seldom make a mistake. So I'm normally right. Intuition works for me much better than logic does. But we need both. If they had a decision to make, I would suggest that they sit down quietly by, the, by themselves, take, uh, close their eyes, take three deep breaths, and just go within. Just sit quietly, relaxing as much as possible. Allow your thoughts to go, but only allow po positive thoughts in, in there. If you find yourself thinking about an argument you had with someone earlier in the day, don't dismiss that. You've got to think positive, happy thoughts. And then when you're ready, then ask the question, whatever it happens to be, and just see how your body re reacts. Not necessarily, not your thoughts, but your, your body. If you feel something in, in your heart, for instance, or in, in your, your stomach area, there are very, very strong clues as to which way you should go. It's also helping people realize that they do have the answers within. And you have a, a plethora of books that can teach people different techniques and different ways and different tools but it always, always comes back to going within and trusting yourself because your own inner knowing and guidance is going to be so much stronger than whatever anyone else would ever tell you. Yes, that's right. One of the um, favorite books that, that you've written that I love and I turn to time and again is Spirit Guides and Angel Guardians. Uh, I recommend that book all the time. Oh, thank you very much. It's wonderful, everyone. You've got to check it out. Do you think that our guides and angels can help us attract luck? And what would you say to someone like me who feels guilty <laughs> bugging my guides for something like, <laughs> let me have a lucky day? You can have a lucky day without involving your, gui your guides. It's true. So that just, uh, when I wake up, when I get out of bed in the morning, I tell myself today is going to be a wonderful day. It always is. It's amazing. It's just like a little positive affirmation I give myself. I was in hospital for a few weeks, many, many years ago. One of the doctors said to me, it's not like visiting a patient because every morning I got up and I dressed myself, shaved, showered and did everything, even though I had a heart rate, which was going, going absolutely berserk. I told myself today's going to be a wonderful day. And uh, the doctors and nurses couldn't, couldn't understand why I was in this situation, but I was still saying this is going to be a wonderful day. They were, I, I, had, I had some really, really good days. Because I'm a magician, when I started to get better, I used to go round the ward showing magic tricks to the other patients there. 
I felt sorry for them because they probably didn't really want some idiot coming around showing them a magic trick. But it got me out of bed, out, out of my little room, and uh, I met, met a variety of interesting people. Well, it's like you bring joy wherever you go. Well, I try, I try to. I, I don't necessarily think I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to that place and I'm going to bring joy. But, uh, but I, I try to. I, I, I want people to feel better after they've left me than they were before before I came on the scene. I'm not sure I always succeed, but that, but that is what I'd like to do. It sounds like you do. So what are your tips for people who are wanting to make a deeper connection with their guides? Oh, just the same process as, as I mentioned before. Sit down quietly, take three deep breaths, close your eyes, and just go within. And after a minute or two, just say, I'd like to make a closer connection with, with my guides. Allow it to happen. There are other ways. You can, you can write a letter to your guides, burn it and send it out into the, the universe. There are other ways, but I've, you can use a pendulum as, as well. I prefer doing it directly. For some strange reason, I, I seem to go more for angels than for guides. I've got a very good friend who's a successful medium. We've had lots of conversations about that because he naturally gravitated towards the spirit guides. I naturally gravitated towards angels. Neither of us did any particular effort go one way or, or the other. It's just it's just the, the way it happened. Uh, there's no reason why you can't use both because if, for instance, I decided to take up a new interest, I, I would call on my guides to provide with someone who could help me to learn the basics of whatever it was. My guides have helped me a lot and, and that way over, over the years. Do you believe that you have like an angel on your team who helps you just with your writing projects? Or do you think there's just one guide per person or one angel per person? Uh, we all, all have at least one angel guardian. Some of us have about two or three, but there's one who's with us right, right from, some people think from the moment of conception, but at least from birth all the way through. But they haven't been with us just this lifetime. They've been with us some previous lifetimes as well. I, I call on that angel well almost, almost every day, but because I'm working on my computer most of the day, which is fairly solitary and can be lonely, I, I go for walks. And also, whenever I get stuck in my writing, I go for a walk. So I do, oh, I walk five or six miles every day, I suppose. But when I'm walking, after walking for about five minutes, I will ask my guardian angel to join me, and then we can have a conversation. And I have learned the hard way that it pays to communicate silently with my guardian angel when I'm out walking in, when I'm out walking in public. But it doesn't really matter nowadays because half the people I see are talking, but they're talking on the phone. So, But there's no way of knowing if they're talking to their guardian angel or not. So I'm, I'm talking with my angels all the time. And if I'm stuck with a book, I will, I will discuss my problems. My angel will just be generally comfort, comforting, maybe give me a, a little bit of, of, of advice. But I also know that just getting up and walk away going for a walk and coming back, even if I'm not thinking about the book, when I come back, I'm immediately able to get started again. So I think I think the break is probably all I need. The talk with the guardian angel is something that I do because I, I, I love doing. I can uh, speak with other angels as well, the, 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 say it the same way. If I, if I want to if I want to send healing to someone, I, I might ask if I could speak to uh, Raphael, for instance. So... That's, That's something I'm doing. All, I'm doing. I'm doing that all, all the time. You know, Carl Jung used to do that when he got stuck either on a patient or a writing project. He would take a walk, and he said that there was a guide. I can't remember his name who would walk with him, and yes. 
he kind of thought of him as like an imaginary friend. He didn't want to admit, you know, that this was actually a guide or an angel. And from what I've read, he was like, okay, if he's imaginary, either way, it's working for me. And I thought that was a nice approach. I think it's a wonderful approach. Napoleon Hill in Thinking Grow Rich had a similar thing. He wanted to develop positive attributes of famous people. So in his imagination, he would call a board meeting and he'd have Abraham Lincoln there, Einstein, you know, different different people who he wanted to model aspects of, of their personalities. And he would ask them questions and listen to their answers. He was always aware that they were imaginary, but they became real. He would ask a question and he'd be amazed at the answers that would come back because they didn't come from him. At least he didn't think they did. So they were his imaginary friends who helped him change his his life. I guess it doesn't matter if they're imaginary or not. I I, I don't believe they are imaginary. Although in Napoleon's horse case, obviously they were created, the whole scenario, but it, it, it worked. Well, who knows? Maybe an aspect of Lincoln and Einstein showed up or, you know on the astral state. Who knows what can happen? We have to keep yes, it that's, that's true. Right now, it's an interesting time to be on the planet. And I say that to myself quite a bit during the day some days. But I think a lot of people are trying to find hope. They've had a lot of trials, tribulations, fear-based. What would be, and I do, I think like-minded people are finding each other. I think that we're all in transition into something that's much better that we're moving towards in unity as, I mean, we can go on and on about that, but what would be something we could offer people that might feel like, I don't even know where to go from here, from a spiritual point, from a metaphysical point of, Mm -hmm. I agree. I talk to my guides and angels. I feel a connection. I feel protected. I connect with ancestral energies. And and as a medium, I'm very blessed to spend time on both sides of the veil. So what can we offer people to realize that we will get through this and there is hope? Goodness, that's a difficult question, isn't it? <laughs> we're, 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 we certainly are going to get that, get through this. Just, uh, just to appreciate the small things in life and to, just continue making the most of every day, to, to live each, each day. Don't dwell too much on the, the past or the future. Obviously, we can learn lessons from the past, and obviously we need to make plans for the future, but actually live in the present moment as, as much as possible. See, uh, I know I think, so many people who live entirely in the past. Uh, they're not living in the current day at all. See, I love that because that's been a theme for so many people is trying so hard to be present, be here now. And it's for a lot of folks, it's almost like they have a foot where they've been and that doesn't quite fit. They're stepping into where they're not quite sure. So we're in this weird lull of of knowing we need to redefine and restructure. And I think that that's the key right now is to go within and truly, and you've been saying this as a a present theme through everything you've been sharing with us, is your answers are in there and our guides, our angels, spirit are there to help light the way if we want to pay attention. I learned living in the present moment years and years ago. Uh, I was sitting at uh, the lunch table with my family and uh, all of a sudden my older son said, Daddy's writing a book. And uh, it was true. I was sitting there with them, but I wasn't with them. I was inside, inside my head thinking thinking uh, about the book. And it taught me a valuable lesson that by, th- by doing that, I was missing out on the, the joys of um, Fam, home and family life. I still do it occasionally. My wife can always tell. She says she can see it in my eyes if I'm listening or 
not. And I think I think that is is true. Kids always know, don't they? Kids know. Yes, they do. Yes. Well, you know, when I first started reading your books, it was back in the '90s, and I would go to my local bookstore, and I would have to walk to the back of the bookstore in this little section, and it was labeled occult. Yes, that's right. <laughs> And I'd love for you to tell some of our younger listeners, what was it like when you first started publishing in this field? Was your agent like, what are you writing about now? How did it feel for you to step out like this? I've never had an agent. And uh, the reason for that is I I worked in publishing for seven years. When I left high school in New Zealand back in those days, there was a shortage of workers. So uh, I didn't need to get a university degree to get a job in publishing. So I went straight into into publishing. I had the opportunity of becoming a a journalist, both our daily newspapers, and I got the offer to work in publishing. I opted for the publishing job because I thought I would see what the publishing world was like and what, because I wanted to be a writer. Seven years in publishing almost put me off writing forever because I realized how hard it was get a book accepted, all the devious, nasty things that publishers do along the way as, 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 as well. So uh, that almost put me off writing, but not to- totally. My first book was published when I was 24 or 25. I, I sent it to the first publisher I could think of. They, they published it. They printed 500 copies of it, so they must have had enormous faith in the project. <laughs> and and one, day, one day someone came to the house and bought my, my last copy, which I sold, and I phoned the publisher day or two later, and uh, they completely sold out. So it's the only book of mine that I don't have a copy of. It's good in a way because my wife cannot stop me going into any used bookstore that we go past. Because I always, In a way, I hope I'll find it. I'm sure I could find it if I went to a books or you know one of the internet things because it's so easy now. But the whole point of I'd like to find it serendipitously. You know, just just sort of by by accident. Yeah, so, like but, to be. Yes, but I I also like to think that five hundred people own it. And they're so they love it so much they they're not going to part with it no matter what. And so that's what I like to think. After that, I self published a few books because I started reading palms in shopping malls. It seemed like a good career move at the time. But in New Zealand, any form of fortune telling was illegal, so the way to get around it was to sell something and give a free reading. So I wrote a little 32-page booklet. People bought the booklet and got the palm reading. And that was great. I thought I was set for life. But a month or so later, people would come back wanting another reading, but they wanted another booklet. So I wrote another one, then another one, then another one. And that's what started my writing career going, really, because I had to keep had to keep a, a booklet ahead of my regular, <laughs> regular customers. Would you get like a ticket or could you get arrested? Yes, I'd get, I'd get, I could get arrested for, for, for wow. fortune telling that's that's changed that's changed now changed about 30 years ago and it's it's funny almost everyone advertising tarot card readings or readings of any sort says they've been in business for 40 years obviously the first 10 years they must have been doing it very quietly at home i think what an amazing way to get started writing to avoid (laughs) 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 yes that's right well i wanted i wanted to be a writer and i was trying to write fiction i have had a few novels published but none of them have done as well as the nonfiction. After those self-publishing things, I found a publisher in the UK. They had a remarkable gift. They had the blandest covers in the whole world. And you could look inside a bookstore window and you could see all the, all the, the latest books, but you wouldn't even notice their book because the covers were just so bland. And uh, I thought that's uh, ridiculous. I need to find a publisher who uh, has good covers. I was reading Publishers Weekly in the library. 
and there was an article about the, my publisher, Llewellyn's, and it said that sold a million copies of a series of books by Noel Till on astrology. And I also knew they had magnificent covers. They were the first New Age publisher to come up with, you know, bright, cheerful, happy, nice covers. So I decided I wanted them to be my writer, my publisher. So I sent away for their guidelines. Nowadays, you just download it off the website. But back in those days, I had to send them a letter and wait for about four weeks for it to come. But while I was waiting, I bought a dozen of their books and I studied them. And when the, the guidelines came, I wrote a book using the guidelines, but also what I'd, what I'd learned and uh, sent the book into them. And two weeks later, they sent me a phone. They, they phoned me. And back in 1992, an international phone call was rare and very, very expensive. So uh, they, they, they said, we want to publish the book. We want a few change, changes made. What are you working on now? And uh, I wasn't actually working on anything. But I, I said, oh, thinking of writing a book on Celtic divination. And they said, great, when can we have it? And I said, six months. And they said, could we have it in three months? So uh, I said, yes. And uh, that started my ride with, with Llewellyn's. They've published most things I've written. I do write in other fields as well. I love hearing people's publishing stories. And for all of our writing listeners out there, Richard has a great book called How to Write for the New Age Market that we recommend you guys check out. But for someone who's brand new to this world of intuition and being empathic and using the, the pendulum of their body to, to tune in, which book of yours would you recommend they start with? What's a good beginner book? I mean, you have a whole beginner series, but if, if you yes. had to give one or two books to you know, a brand newbie, which one would you choose? Uh, if they were just interested in the area generally, I would recommend Pendulum Magic for Beginners. That's I've, I've written two books on the pendulum, but the Pendulum Magic one is a bit more more magical, a bit more new agey. I think I'd recommend that one. And the, and the rest, it gets a bit difficult because it depends on what their particular interests are. You know, I've got astral travel for beginners. I've got aura reading for beginners. For a while, I, I looked as if I could write. I came up with a topic. All I had to put was for beginners. Writing for beginners is something I learned when I was in publishing because the market for beginners is huge. But the more advanced you get, it's like a pyramid. There are less and less people because a lot of people are satisfied just with the beginner's book. They learn what they want to learn. And that's enough for them. It's only a smaller number of people who go more and more advanced. So the biggest market is, the, is writing for beginners. The advice I give for people who want to become writers is to, to write something every day. My huge leap when I realized I could become a writer was when I visited Jack London's house in the wine country north of San Francisco. He, he was the most successful author in the world in the early 1900s. He wrote Wild Fang. Also, he had a very, very expensive lifestyle. He had a, a play farm. And his friends would come and stay on his farm for months and basically live off him. So he had to make a reasonable amount of money every year. In fact, he made about $30,000 a year, which is equivalent to making a million dollars a year today. And his secret was to write a thousand words every day. When I visited his home, his rules of work were on his, um, on his wall. And to write, one was to write a thousand words a day. When I saw that, a light bulb went off. I thought, gee, if I wrote a thousand words every day, 60 days, I'd have a book. If I kept on doing that, they get, one, one would get it published eventually, and I'd be on my way. But I returned to New Zealand, and I thought he'd written 2,000 words a day. So I've always written 2,000 words a day. And I got the shock of my life when I went back to his home 25 years later and found I'd written twice as many words as I needed to. 
to em- to emulate him. Oh my gosh. Okay, that leaves me with two questions. One, do you still write two thousand words a day? And two, I've heard that if I've never visited his home, but I've heard that in his bathroom, it's wallpapered in his rejection letters that he got from early publishing companies. Is that still in in the house? I didn't see his bathroom. I, I certainly remember remember that, so I, I don't know. But he got more than 600 rejection letters before he had a single success. Perseverance was something else I learned from them. I've had a few rejection letters, but not not many. And I doubt if I'd still be writing if I got 600, 600 of them. Yeah, me too. Wow. So do you still keep up that pace of 2,000 words a day? I try to. It's got so much harder now because when I started writing, there was no internet. There are so many ways people can contact me. I took all ways of contacting me off my website years ago, thinking that would give me a bit more time. But, but of course, there's Skype, there's FaceTime, there's um, Facebook. There are so many, so many ways I can be contacted. It's very, it's very hard. So when I'm working on a book, I set myself a deadline, even if my publisher hasn't given me one. And I try, I try to beat it by a day or two. It's just a little game I play with myself. When I'm doing that, I do write 2,000 words a day, yes. That is so impressive and really helpful advice. Thank you. It's obvious that you knew in your heart that you wanted to write. And my gut feeling is you would have written if no one had read it because it just feels like it's it's that deep for you. And a lot of folks, and I, I've said this so many times, a lot of the younger people are wired differently and they're trying to step into their passion younger. They're not following the same, oh, I have to be a doctor, I have to be a lawyer, I have to do follow these parameters. I think you already mastered that at a time when that wasn't ex- as acceptable. So what could we share with our our listeners who may want to write or dance or compose or build a ship, or it doesn't really matter what fill in the blank it is to realize, to stay true to themselves and follow their dream with that. One of my sons wants to be a writer and is trying to become a writer. He went into advertising because he thought it would be a lucrative field. And it is, he's director of an advertising agency now. So he's working very long hours. He's working hard. He's getting the financial rewards, but he's not getting any satisfaction or pleasure from it at all. His only pleasure comes when he's writing and he's got to get up at 5.30 in the morning so he can do an hour or two of writing before he starts his day. So he's trying to become a writer. So he's trying to fulfill his dream, but he's left, left, he's 40, he's 40 now, so he hasn't left it too too late. But he learned the hard way that uh, choosing a career because he thought it would be lucrative is really a very silly thing very silly thing to do and his best friend is uh, is trying to be a composer he's had a little bit of success but he's got very high standards he he considers it below himself to write advertising jingles for instance is where he could make a living so he he's teaching the piano uh, making a very subsistence little living really and spending most of his time composing in the hope that one day he will be discovered, but he is spending most of his time on his passion. So he's, he's much happier than my son, who is spending most of his time doing something he's not, not enjoying at all. I, I think it's vital to do something that uh, you at least like, <laughs> like, a, like a little bit. I read that 78% <laughs> of people don't like their jobs at all. I've, I've oh. virtually never done a job that I haven't enjoyed. So I've done, I've done things I've had to do things to make money 
at times, you know, I, I had a, a, an importing business. I was importing books and distributing them throughout New Zealand. It was great for a while, and it was easy to sell the books. But to get the bookstores to pay me was almost impossible. And uh, eventually, the business went under. Uh, I lost all my money. I was doing three jobs for a while. I was working in a warehouse. I was delivering donuts to stores during the at night, in the middle of the night. And I was mowing lawns on the weekends. Oh, and I was teaching the piano as well. Not a good combination for teaching the piano, because when you're mowing lawns, you have your, your fingers and hands get sort of stained. I've, I've done things purely for money when I've had to. Fortunately, most of my life, I've been able to get by doing what I love doing. So I've been, I've been very fortunate. I'm, I, th- I think I'm a good person to write a book on luck, because I, I think I'm a very lucky person. Yeah. It definitely sounds like it. And it sounds like you make your own luck. Yes, I do. I, I always look for opportunities. When I was working as a magician, all the magicians were trying to get the same market. I went out of my way to find little niches where, where there was no competition. There was only me. And uh, that worked very well for me. Being curious and trying to find what is right for you and find out how you can fit in and actually do something with it. You, you are, is another way of bringing luck into your life. You know, Joseph Campbell, when he graduated from all his education degree stuff, he yes. decided he wanted to just follow his bliss. So he took an entire year off of life and all he wanted to do was read books. And his dad kept saying, how are you going to make a living reading books? What are you <laughs> doing? And he writes about that. I'm sure you've read it. He, he writes about yes. that year all the time and how following his bliss and taking that year to read is what led to the hero's journey and, you know, and eventually why we love Joseph Campbell. So I, I think you're absolutely right. You've got to do what you love. It's so hard sometimes when, like your son, what he's doing is admirable too. He's providing for himself and his family, and that's important yes. as well. So it can be really hard to you know, stay on that follow your bliss path, but it's always a worthy goal. And even if you're not doing it now, you can sort of plan ahead and work out how you can get there. Exactly. And you can plan ahead and attract good luck by checking out your book, The Secret to Attracting Luck. If you guys want to read more about Mr. Webster, please go to his website, psychic.co.nz. I'll put it in the show notes and we'll link you on our Facebook page as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really truly an honor to get a chance to talk with you. Your, your books have meant so much to me on my journey. Thank you very much indeed. I've I've really enjoyed it. And it's been wonderful meeting uh, you and Denise. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you everyone for listening. Don't forget as always to show up, do great work and share your light.